There's a peace for sure in the Lord and a comfort that we have in Jesus, but that we would have a holy uh, dissatisfaction, I guess you would say, that would move us on in Jesus, that would, that would spur us on to know Him more, to seek Him more, to follow hard after Him. Amen? That is the pursuit of our lives. There will be plenty of time for rest. There's a rest that remains for the people of God when we get to heaven. But between here and there, as long as we're born again and as long as we're on this earth, we're to follow hard after the Lord. Amen? He'll give us the strength to do it. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? I want you to, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and 7. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as even ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Our Passover is sacrificed for us. When he, with the, the, the church in Corinth, they were glorying, they were boasting. There was sin in their church and they were allowing it to go on and they, they were boasting actually, look how gracious we are. Look how full of grace we are. We're not, we're not judging them. We're not condemning them. We're not doing anything. We're just letting the grace just cover it all. And Paul says, we don't have time to read it, but this, this is not good what you're doing. Judge it. Okay, judge it. Leaven in this passage is speaking about sin. And he says, know ye not that a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. If you take, I don't bake, but I mean, people that do bake, you can either have a flat piece of bread, like a cracker, or you can have a, a birthday cake, all right? And you got to put leaven or yeast in there. And it doesn't take a lot in all the dough that you've mixed up with water and flour, and you put just a little leaven, however much it is, that's the yeast, it makes it rise, okay? And so in this passage, leaven is speaking of sin. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Okay, and he tells them to purge out, therefore, this leaven. Get it, get it out, and deal with it. And there, there was a tradition or a custom, I guess you would say, for the Jews when it was right before the Passover feast, the feast of the Passover. You know, and in that feast they were to eat unleavened bread only. And so they would go through the house and they would cleanse their house of any leaven. They would get it out of the house totally, so it wouldn't get mixed up, and you know, they end up having leavened bread or something like that to, in order to keep the Passover properly they would eat unleavened bread so they go before the feast I don't know how many days or whatever they make sure and they cleanse the house and get all the leaven out and so that's where he says purge out this leaven a little leaven leavens the whole lump and leaven in this passage speaking about sin right here leaven can also speak of doctrine and the doctrine of the Pharisees he was speaking about leaven in that uh, Jesus used the word leaven as well, but here he's speaking about sin, and a little sin is going to corrupt the whole. A little sin unjudged when you're when you're aware of it within a body, and we let it go, it's it, it would it would uh, permeate the whole church. A little sin in your life that you would think is a little sin, and you say, but otherwise I'm doing really good. A little sin left unchecked and undealt with and not purged out will take over. It will take over. And I just want to talk to you today, really just straight from my heart. I guess we're switching gears just a little bit about the last several months about, uh, about pursuing after God and knowing God. Certainly that's always 
a theme for our lives and for our church. But I know the Lord put this on my heart for today and probably next week and possibly a, a week more, but at least for this week and next week. And I just want to talk to you a little bit. There's so much compromise in our day. I'm just making a statement that we all could make and look at. There's so much uh, partial obedience within the body of Christ and with mm-hmm. believers. So much partial obedience to the Lord. There's so much in the church world among believers and, and churches and, and denominations and ministries. There's so much in the, in the church world of just being comfortable with the world. There's so much of that. There's so much of actually where the church world is actually seeking the approval and adoration of the world. There's so much uh, with believers or, or ministries or pastors or religious philosophy, I guess you would say, Christian philosophy of, of being okay with a certain amount of worldliness. Being okay with it. Or seeking to be compatible with the world. Looking for common ground with the world that, that crucified Jesus. Looking for common ground with the world that crucified Jesus. Um, this, as though it's two, two warring factions and we've got to make peace somehow. You understand what I'm saying? Here's the church. Here's the world. And this isn't in the Bible, by the way, but this would be in the Christian philosophy, by the way, of we, we want to find a common ground. I'm going to bridge the gaps between the world and the church. We want to find a common ground. We want to be accepted. We want the church world to be accepted. There's so much where certain sins within the church are acceptable. There's a certain level, if you want to call it that, or amount of sin is okay. We actually need it to survive in this world, to get along with folks. And uh, to get ahead in business or in life, there's a certain amount, uh, and we kind of can wink at it. But the Bible says, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. All men everywhere to repent. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? But in the, in the, there's so much compromise in the church world today, so much of the old life that I call the BC life, right? Before Christ's life. So much of that old man that the Lord saved us and we carry it over into the new Christian life. And it ought not be. We carry it over into the church world, into the ministry, into the pulpit, into the music, into the everything. We carry it over. And we allow so much of that old nature of Adam to coexist a popular word today. We're going to coexist, right? Palestinians and the Israel is going to make a, a peace plan. Uh, that may be. I don't believe that that's going to happen. But nevertheless, there is no peace between the living God and His church over which He is the head and this lost world that I was of before I got saved and this lost world that put Jesus on the cross the sin that they put in there. But we make room for it. We make room for this old nature and some of the old habits and the old sins. And we kind of wink at it. And those aren't the worst of the worst. You know, we're not a terrorist and we're not 
we're not a prostitute and we're not a this and we're not that. We kind of make room for it. We make a provision for it. We make uh, an allowance for it, I guess you would say, or concessions to that, to that old nature. And the Bible says that, that uh, we're to, we're to uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof in Romans chapter 13. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking to believers. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. But we make concessions. I'm talking about individually in my own life. I'm okay with this level of sin. And then the whole church may be the same way. We're okay with this. You know what I'm saying? We're okay. My other church may be okay with this level of sin. And I know I'm just trying to speak figuratively, but we think somehow that we can allow some of that old sin nature to stay in us and just control it. And we can tame it, so to speak. I'm a believer now. I do steadfastly believe in Jesus, but I'm okay. I've learned to coexist with this certain sin in my life or these certain sins in my life or this certain level of sin in my life and I can keep it under control. I, I can keep that sin from getting the best of me or getting out of hand. Believers often want the best of both worlds, don't they? We want the best of Jesus. We certainly want heaven. We certainly don't want to. We believe in heaven and we believe in the Lord. We want everything that Jesus has for us, but we, we want to hang on to the, the best of the best in the world as well, the things that we like, okay, and that we desire. And can I tell you that it's a fatal mistake? It is a fatal mistake to live that way. No man can serve two masters, Jesus said, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or riches. That was what he was speaking of here. You cannot. It doesn't say it'll be really difficult, but give it a good shot. But I think a lot of people in the church world, this is nothing new, by the way. I just think it increases as we're getting closer to in the, in the end of the end, you know, times before the, the rapture of the church and so forth. But people are trying to have the best of both worlds. They, they think they've figured out the magic formula to have, be a Christian and to walk with God and have the blessings of God upon their life in heaven when they die and to still have certain things, the things that they like in the world. And you cannot. Jesus didn't say it would be difficult. You cannot. And He never intended for us to live that way. I've tried it before. Okay, I could be a poster child for trying to live for Jesus and have all my friends and the stuff in the world too. Trying really hard to hang on with a tight grip to both of them. Certain things in the world, let them go. I don't care for those things anyway. But certain things, not necessarily sinful, just uh, certain friends and things like I didn't want to let go of. You cannot. Jesus said, Randy, you cannot. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Right? You cannot serve God in heaven. Be not... Be ye not, speaking of believers, unequally yoked together. You've seen a yoke. You know what it is. Yokes two animals together so they can work as one. You can't, uh, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's the world. Doesn't mean they're all demon-possessed. Doesn't mean they're all terrorists. Doesn't mean they all want to kill us. It means they don't know Jesus. <laughs> they're of the world. 
we're not of the world. We're not of the world in the same sense that Jesus was not of the world. That's what he says in John 17. You're not of the world even as I'm not of the world. Okay? So don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or a demon, or a devil? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, an unbeliever? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. I didn't make myself that. I gave my life to Jesus. He made me that. I gave my life to Christ. I believed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. With a childlike faith, I turned from my sin. I turned to God. He saved me. He made my body and your body His temple. And there, there is no uh, fellowship there. There is not to be fellowship there. Don't try to make fellowship there. Live for God. He'll use you as an ambassador. Amen? We're in hostile territory. Give your life to Jesus. Live for God holy. And guess what He'll do? He'll take you and pick you up and go drop you in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation and say, go let my light shine. That's what He'll do. But don't live like they do and think you're going to reach Him for Jesus. Not even a little bit. Live for God. He'll pick you up. He'll use you to rock this world and to shape this nation. He used 120 to turn the world upside down. Those that have turned the world upside down, they've come here too. I forgot what city it was in the book of Acts where they said that. The little group of people, fishermen, and, and you know what I mean? Hated by the world and yet turned the world upside down because they were separated from the world that they lived in. You can't be part of the problem. We talked about this not long ago and think you're going to be the solution. For if we belong to God, then belong to God. Amen? And live for Him. This whole position of trying to find this happy medium, I'm going to allow a little leaven in my life. Just a little bit. Makes me compatible with some people. Makes me feel comfortable. Uh, it's not so drastic. It is a position of weakness. It's not a position of strength. People want to be business leaders and this and that and get along with everybody and throw the name Jesus out there when they want to. But that, that is a position in God's eyes of, of, of weakness. If God puts you in that position, so be it. But live for God 100%. Don't compromise. It's a position of defeat when God has called us to walk in the victory that He's given us in Christ. You'll find no admonition in the Bible, by the way, for this type of compromise. There's no allowance for it. You don't see it in the Old Testament. You don't see it in the New Testament on this side of the cross, on that side of the cross. For the people of God, He makes no allowance for that. He makes forgiveness when we sin. Hallelujah. Which I've done plenty of times since I've been saved. And I have compromised. And I have tried to blend in with the world. And I have tried to been ashamed of the Gospel at times and not want to take a stand for Christ. I've done all those things. And every time, if I'll repent, there's forgiveness and cleansing. Every single time. And He'll do it tomorrow if I do it tomorrow. But that's still not the admonition of God in the Scriptures. It's not at all what, what our Savior has called us to do or what He's called us to be. It's not at all what Jesus suffered on Calvary's cross to purchase 
to Himself to make us. It's not at all what's befitting such a great God and Savior. It's not at all glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? We think we're doing so great. I'm talking about the Christian world as a whole. Today, the Christian world or Christendom, like a lot of scholars call it. Some are saved, some may not be saved. But what's called Christianity today? So when I say the Christian world, that's what I'm referring to. But we think we're doing so great and we're such great Christians. Other people tell us we are. Other people tell us we're really fine examples. We're like Abraham and Sarah, you know, in our marriages. And yet we're not. But we're told that by people. We think we're doing so well. So I think there's some mindset almost in, in the modern church world, at least in America today, where it's almost like we did God a favor by coming to Him. Like, Jesus, you ought to be glad I chose you. You know, poor Jesus. Like, He's this little, poor little Jesus sitting over there waiting for a friend to come love Him and choose Him. I think that's a lot of times the way He's presented in modern evangelism and books. He'll be so glad that, that we came and sat by Him and talked to Him a little bit. And yet, He's King of kings and Lord of lords. Is it Doug? Does he rejoice? And do the Bible say that the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents and comes to him? Yes. That is a fact. That is true. All of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to the Lord. But, but it's not this mindset that we've done him a favor, that it's almost like he's indebted to us. Okay, Jesus, I see you over there, and you've suffered enough. I'll, you know, I'm going to come over there and and be your pal for a while or something like that. I'm going to choose Jesus. And, you know, there's this presentation of the gospel where where um, he doesn't require much. You know, come to the Lord. You know, students or whoever, come to the Lord. God doesn't expect too much from your life. He's not going to require too much from you. He doesn't actually want to disrupt your life a whole lot. He just wants to make you better, happier. He just wants to come alongside it on the journey and you know down the it's not at all what's presented in the Bible. We need to know our Bibles. Amen. We come to Jesus and we die. Paul said I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, but it's not even me that's living. It's Christ that liveth in me and the life that I now live in the flesh that you see is 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 by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his life in and through my life. And so this whole thing has gotten uh, perverted. It's a it's a twisting what God says the relationship is to be between a man or woman or young person and, and himself. What that relationship is to be. And we're almost like today, it's like, well, God ought to be happy that I gave up these sins. Or God ought to be happy that for my least bit of service to him. But that's not what he's called. He's called us to be fully surrendered to him. He's called us to, to die. He's called us to take up our cross and walk with Him. And we think we're doing so great. And the Lord told the church at Laodicea, because you say, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's what they said of themselves. And know us not, you are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor. You are blind. You are naked. You think you're doing so great. He didn't say they weren't His church. He didn't say they weren't even saved. He said, you need to repent of this. You think you're something that you're not. And the Bible tells us comparing ourselves by ourselves, we're not wise. So we look around at the other Christians and say, I'm doing better than them. That's not my standard. 
That's not my comparison. The Lord says, don't you know? You say that of yourselves, church at Laodicea, uh, but you're miserable and wretched and poor and blind and naked. We need to understand something that I was, He's God and I'm not. Very simple truth, right? You say, well, I know that I'm not God, but we need to know that. He's God Almighty and I'm not. And I'll just tell you for me and for everyone that's born again in this room, and I'll speak it for myself, I was hell bound and deserving of it. Even though I think most of my life growing up in high school and all through life, other people that were around me, friends and their parents and people, teachers, I made good grades, never got arrested, you know what I'm saying? Uh, pe- people would have said he's a good, good kid. And I was hell bound and deserving of it because of my sins. God would have been perfectly just in condemning me to a lake of fire and torment and separation from God forever and ever. He would have been perfectly just in doing that. But He did not do that. He had mercy upon me. There was the, the parable of the, the, the Pharisee and the public and they went to pray. And Jesus said the Pharisees stood with us with him, prayed with Himself, right? I thank the thank you, Lord. I fast twice in a week, and I and I give tithes, and I'm certainly not like that old publican over there. The publican beat his breast, didn't even look up, and said, "God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner." Well, he was perfect love, perfect mercy, saving grace, grace greater than all my sins, brought me to. Uh, brought to me through Jesus Christ. His sinless life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, according to the Scriptures. He saved me from my sin, but He also saved me unto Himself. He didn't just save me from my sin and that was the only change. He saved me from my sin and saved me unto Himself. And bought you and I unto Himself. I belong to Him. And if you're born again, you belong to Him. He is my Lord. I'm not my own Lord of my life. I was my own little king before. Even if I was a nice kid. I was nice because I wanted to be nice and I liked parents to, my friends to say that I was nice. Okay? I was my own little Lord and my own little king. But He is my king now. He is my Lord. His plan for my life and for the life of all those that He has purchased with His blood is for you and I to walk with Him. Growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Filled with His Spirit. Loving Him with all of my heart, soul, and mind. In full obedience to Christ. Amen? That my life would be a testimony for the Lord. That it would be a testimony of the saving power of God. Of the love of God, like we heard in Sunday school. Of the grace of God. Of the mercy of God. That, and that's only going to come and bring Him glory and be a testimony like that for Christ if I'm separated unto the Lord. If I purge out the little leaven, purge out the leaven, okay? Come out from among them and be separate. If I let my light so shine before men, there has to be a separation in my life for me to have that testimony for the Lord in the world. We've talked in the years, months and years past about a testimony. You know that testimony is a very valuable thing. It is an amazing thing, a testimony. If I look at the testimony of some of your, your lives, or all of your lives, and, and know 
your, I know your, your relationship with God. I know your stand for God. I know your life for God. I know what He's brought you through. I know where He brought you from. Even as believers, where He's brought us on from. I know who He is to you today. I know how you intend to live for Him tomorrow. That's a testimony for the Lord. That people can see Christ in our lives. But that only comes as there's a separation. We have to separate from the things that are unclean, that are not of God. Not in an arrogant manner that I'm better, but in a separation that I belong to Him. I'm very much drawing a line. I'm very much identifying myself as belonging to Jesus Christ. I used to belong to this lost sinful world. I don't anymore. He saved me from it. There's a wonderful scripture in Colossians. I forgot exactly where. But the Bible says that He has translated us, that, that Jesus saved us. He translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. So what He did is He actually picked us up when He saved us. He took us out of this kingdom. There's a kingdom of this world, right? Kingdom of this world. The God of this world. The little G. Satan. And we were just part of it. Even if... Even if we didn't, it doesn't I mean that we were demon possessed, but we were just following after the course, it says in Ephesians 2, of this world. And walking and fulfilling the lust of it. We're just living, floating around in this lost world that doesn't know Jesus. When we came to know Christ, He lifted us up and translated us and picked us up and said, You're part of this kingdom. There's fortress walls around it. Christ is the king, He's His army, we're His people, right? brothers and sisters with others that are there. Different set of rules. Different laws. Okay, mercy and grace. The law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We're part of that kingdom. Now I can live like I'm part of this kingdom even though I'm born again and over here. I can seek after it. I can pretend like I'm part of it. And at times from here and here and there, I can try to live and behave like I'm still part of this one. But I'm not. God's not going to tolerate it forever. Okay? I can't tell you how long He will put up with it. If you're dealing with this in your life, He told me a very definite time my last semester at LSU, after about five years of twiddling my thumbs and dragging my feet and, and being part of this kingdom and living like I was in that kingdom, He said, it's enough. You decide. Come on or don't come on. And, and he will. He's not going to allow that to continue, it does not bring God glory. It does not bring God glory. We need, we, our life needs to be a testimony for the Lord. Amen? A testimony for the Lord. And I need to examine my own life. I start out by saying that we have so much compromise in the church world. But I need to look at myself because it's easy to see the compromise around us. And I need to examine my own life. And I need to examine my own church and say, is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? Do I have compromise in my life? Certainly my compromise not, might not be as bad as this church or denomination or movement down the road. But do I have it in my life? I need to stop excusing that in my life because I'm so busy looking at the compromise in the church world around me, of which there is much, by the way. We're not wrong to point it out. But we better be right to examine ourselves first before we point it out. I need to guard my, examine my own life and I need to guard my own heart and stop excusing the compromise that's in my own life because it's so easy to focus on the failures of believers around us. 
that music movement in the church, that church movement, they're, boy, they're off on their doctrine. Those things are true. We're not wrong to point those out. But it better start right here. It better start right here. Because God's not going to say, okay, I'll go deal with them, but I'm going to let you off the hook. He, he's going to deal with me in my life as well. And that's where I need to start. Amen? And so the Lord told us in His Word, we have it very clearly, any of us can pick it up and read, the climate, the moral climate or the spiritual climate as we get in the, this age in which we're living, which is going to increase. There's going to be darkness. There's going to be people that are in the faith uh, falling away from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and so forth. All this is going to be we know that's, that's the climate in our day. But it shouldn't be, that's a spiritual condition, but it shouldn't be my spiritual condition. Amen? It shouldn't be uh, mine. And, and again, we're not called to simply be a little better than what's ex accepted in Christianity today. And I think that's where the church in America is as a whole. There are exceptions to the rule, okay? Uh, this is not a blanket condemnation. As a whole... I see wherever the world is, the church just wants to stay a notch above it, a degree above it. But the call of God is way up here. And we've stuck way down here. And we can look around and say, yep, I'm still a little bit better than, than the lost world around me. That is not our calling. Our calling is not to be better than what's accepted uh, as Christian in our day. We're not called to be merely somewhat more holy than the average Christian of the 21st century, you and I are called to be fully surrendered unto the Lord Jesus Christ. In every day, in every way, in every area of our life, in every land across this globe, in every situation, we're called to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Peculiar means peculiar. It means uh, it's, 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 there's a difference. It's, it's a treasure. It's something set apart. Okay? A peculiar people, it says in Titus, zealous of good works. And y'all, we are to be peculiar and, and separated to God and fully surrendered to the Lord in, in areas of our life that we be considered normal by other Christians. And we're to be separated and fully surrendered to God in what would be considered extreme by other Christians. What would be considered too much, fanatical, over the top, you people at Cornerstone Church, church are too biblical. You're too rigid. I've heard people say that you're the doctrine police or whatever. You, you're, uh, you're too rigid in your stand for truth. You're too rigid in your pursuit of holiness. You're too rigid in your lifestyles. It makes us uncomfortable. This isn't a lost world telling us that. We know the world would say that. Okay? But there's those in the church world. What's called Christianity... They would say, you're just, you're just over the top. Y'all are too much. That, that, that's going to turn people off in this day. But you know what? I don't, and I did not, and do not, set the guidelines for a life in Christ. How that's defined. What that's to look like. The Lord Jesus Christ said that. I don't, I don't choose or determine... Uh, What's a normal level of commitment to Christ? The Bible tells me that. To be crucified. To, to take up my cross and follow Him. 
to submit in every area. Do I always do it? Absolutely not. Is that my heart's desire? Am I committed to that? Yes. I don't determine, you don't determine what's a normal level of Christianity. What's the acceptable level of commitment to Christ? I don't pick and choose which commandments of God in the New Testament to keep or not to keep. There are people that do that, right? I'm going to do this, this, and this, but I don't you know, take these commandments of the Lord very seriously. I don't choose that. He does. And I just want to, this is just in my heart, just a, a thought for us today. Who will take a stand for God? This is nothing unique. This is nothing you've never heard before. But who will take a stand for God and live fully surrendered to Christ? And accept the fact that you and I will be rejected. Accept the fact. Just accept it going in. Okay? Because the Bible tells us this. That you're going to be rejected in this world, of course. Ridiculed by much of the church world. It's, it's, in one sense, it is, it is the most extreme, fanatical thing possible to live fully for God. In another sense, I would say it's, there's nothing extreme about it. It's simply obedience to Christ. It's just Christianity 101. It's just basic Christianity. We're living for the Lord. It seems extreme. It's just genuine Christianity. It's the same Christianity that Stephen the first martyr in the New Testament that he lived. You understand what I'm saying? Where he's preaching and he's being stoned and saying, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. They don't know what they're doing. And that's normal. That's just normal Christianity. It's just what God called him to do. And it looks more and more extreme as we live as the darkness gets darker around us. You understand what I'm saying? To, to live for Jesus and to be the light of Christ and the light of the world like He's called us to be and to be salt that He's called us to be is looking more and more extreme, fanatical to walk in accordance with the Word of God, filled with the Holy Ghost, preaching His Gospel, seeking to make disciples of all men, teaching them to observe whatsoever the Lord has commanded, them, commanded us. That, that's looking more and more extreme, but it's really just basic Christianity. There's not different levels in the Bible. 120 turned the world upside down. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. All 120 of them. They all went. And when they were persecuted, they all went everywhere, scattered, preaching the Gospel where they went there. And some died, and some were in prison, and some martyred. And you know, they, they were all. That was just Christianity. 101. They, there was not another... Christianity, but in America today, and maybe in the church world today, there's another Christianity, or you can pick your flavor or brand of Christianity. I want to be this committed, this committed, this committed, this. Oh, you're really up there. But you know what? It's just Christ. It's just living for God. Who's going to be surrendered to the Lord and walk with the Lord? True discipleship and following Christ is looking more and more extreme in this day, amen? Even in Christian circles. To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. To follow Christ or to desire to follow Christ with all your heart is looking very extreme. Fanatical. There's fewer and fewer people that, that I see. I know that we're not the only ones. I don't claim to be. There are wonderful believers all over this city. 
this, this state, this nation, this world, that are not compromising. Okay? But I'm telling you, it's that their life and our life is going to look more and more extreme as, as the darkness grows darker. And the darkness in the church world is increasing too. It's getting darker. Okay? The Bible said it would be this way. Christ is not getting darker. Christ in me, I don't want to get dark. But I love this scripture. I go to it often in Revelation 14, 4 and 5. And it speaks about the 144,000 that were sealed and were witnesses for Christ, specifically during the tribulation period. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. I love that little phrase right there. What, what, what's so special about these people? Well, these are those, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. He just, wherever he is. And the world's pulling this way and the world's pulling that way. People are saying you're crazy and other Christians are saying you're too extreme and that's over the top and that's too much and everything all around us. But these are they that follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and unto the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. It's only the blood of Jesus that makes us without fault. Yeah. I understand there is no righteousness of my own. But, but this whole idea of following Him wherever He goes, that is something that can be on a, on a commitment on my part. And He will strengthen me to keep that commitment. That I want to follow the Lord wherever He goes. I believe, y'all, that, that this type of life is, is more and more rare. But it shouldn't be. And I, it's rare, but I pray would to God that it wouldn't be rare in me. You understand what I'm saying? It's rare to find someone sold out to Christ like that. For the love, not judgmental or anything like that. For the love of God, really committed to Christ 1,000%. No other influence is influencing me through my life, in my decisions, in what I say, don't say, what I do, don't. Only one. It's the Lord. I'm following Him wherever He goes. That's looking more and more extreme and rare, but would to God it wouldn't be rare here. That it wouldn't be rare in my life. I honestly think, and I'm going to include myself in this, that if the, if the, the, the disciples or the apostles in the book of Acts were to look at Christianity today, it would be unrecognizable to them. And I'm telling you, if they looked at my life to a, to a large extent, I'm setting myself and saying, I'm way better. But you really think about it. If you took the 120 or took the apostles in the early church and dropped them here, forget all the, you know, the, the modern changes of life, technology and all that, just looking at the morality, the spiritual climate of what calls itself Christian today, it would be unrecognizable, I believe, to the early church. They wouldn't recognize it as being Christian. I honestly think they would feel compelled to come share the gospel with us. As though we don't know the Lord. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm stretching that a little far, but I honestly believe that much of what's called Christianity today would be unrecognizable to the early church. We live in a time where uh, the Christian world is, and I'll be bringing this to a close, the Christian world is, is courting the world. We want the world's approval I'm not saying you do necessarily, okay? I'm not saying every church and every pastor, but much of the church world, we see it. 
You see it in the Christian literature and books and movies and, and music. And I've heard it myself from modern day evangelism and, and school chapels and other places where, where the, 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 we're courting the world. We want the world to like us. Please like us. Please come see. We're really not that extreme. We're really not that different than you are. God's not requiring too much. He's not asking you to give up too much. He just wants to make you happy. He just wants to come, come along and make your life better. We want the world's approval. We listen to the same secular music you do. Just come on. We're, we're not that different. We're not that extreme. We're not here to judge you. James says, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whosoever will be a friend with the world is the enemy of God? I didn't say that. But I'm not going to ignore it either. It's in His Word. That's what He says. I can love the world in the sense that Jesus, God, so loved the world to give your very life that they may come to know Christ. But other than that, I have no relationship. There's no union. There's no fellowship. There's no communion with light and darkness. He that believeth with the infidel, Christ with Belial. There's this unholy mixture we see in our day. And it's not actually possible. But there's this unholy blend of what's of, what's of God and what's of the world. This unholy mixture of light and darkness, what's righteous and unrighteous. We try to blend it all together and say, look, I did it. I did it personally. Our church did it. Our church movement did it. Look, we found the key to blend the world with the church and the church with the world. And it's just wonderful. But know you not, you're poor and blind and naked and miserable and wretched. Because that's not at all what we're called to do. And we've deceived ourselves into thinking that. And we wonder, y'all, we wonder, why aren't men coming to Christ like they did in the book of Acts? Honestly, gosh, this is so exciting. 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. 5,000 a few days later when the lame man's healed at the temple. 8,000 in a matter of days. 8,000. 8,000 in a couple of days. And then we don't know how many more because the Lord added to the church daily such as we're saved. And we say, I wonder why people aren't coming to Christ like they did in the book of Acts. I guess God's just doing things differently or He's waiting on His perfect time for revival and so forth. Some of that, there may be some truth to some of that as far as revival and things like that. But I can tell you why people aren't coming to Christ like they came in the book of Acts. Because they don't see Christ. And other people that were lost and now saved like they saw in the book of Acts. They see people that say they're Christian that live pretty much like they do. And watch the same movies they do and listen to the same music that they do and laugh at the same jokes that they do. And there's not a whole, they worry about things. They complain and grumble like everybody else. And they don't reach out to help people. And they, see that they don't see Christ. They saw Christ in these people. If they live for God, died for God, they saw the Lord. One thing you'd have to say, they, even if the lost world didn't believe in Jesus, they'd look at that church and say, they believe it. They certainly believe it. They really believe it. Their life is different. They don't live like we do. They might be nuts, but they, they believe it. And there's a change. 
We say, why aren't people coming to Christ like they did in the book of Acts? Where are all those miracles that were taking place? I believe it's a lack of faith on our part to believe God. To take the Almighty at His Word. To purge out the leaven and be a separated people unto Him. I want to read a couple more Scriptures. Behold, the Lord's hand, Isaiah 59, 1-2. and Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save. Neither is His ear heavy that He cannot hear. So the same God that was saving people in the book of Acts is here today. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Aren't people coming to Christ by the droves? Well, maybe in certain places of the world they are. Where the people stand up for the Lord more. You understand what I'm saying? I heard in Iran there's great revival. It costs them something. They live for God. If they get saved, they really get saved. They're not just going to throw the name around. They can take a stand for God and plan, probably count on being persecuted. China, other places, I hear there's great revival going on. I pray God let it be. Amen? Let there be great revival. But God has called us to be salt and light. And He's called us to, to lay down our lives for Christ's sake in the Gospel. And, and to preach His Word. And to live this life. Personally, just live, live it for God. And let our speech be seasoned with salt. Let Him know that He which converteth the sinner from the error of His way shall save a soul from death. And shall hide a multitude of sins. I need to get back to what's important to God. I need to get back to what's important in God's heart. You bring somebody to Christ through your life, testimony, His Gospel, His grace, His mercy, His righteousness, His blood, but He uses you to be the, the minister. Okay? Know that you've saved the soul from death and hidden a multitude of sins in that person's life. They've been washed away and cleansed. That's important to God. That's God's heart. Amen? And it's not going to come through a compromising people. It's just not. It's not going to come through compromising people. It's going to come through a holy separated. Not arrogant, but separated. Amen? Separated unto the Lord. God's with us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. And I'm just closing with this thought. D, you can come. But the modern church world is not our standard. The modern church world, and it almost scares you. Like if you want somebody to Christ today, and you almost wonder, let's say they weren't here and couldn't be part of this church. Maybe you want them to the Lord another state or something. It's almost, you're almost afraid. I know God can take care of them. Okay? But there's almost this fear about where, where are they going to go? Where will they go now to be discipled? Where will they go now to see true Christianity? I pray they could come here. Amen? I know there's others as well. But I pray they could come here and find true Christianity. This church world is not our standard. Jesus Christ is our standard. Amen? His Word. And I would say to you this morning, I don't care if you've been serving God for many years, or if a young person just got saved recently, draw a line. Not any old line you choose. Draw the line where the Lord draws it. Okay? And, and take a stand. Take a stand upon the rock. Paul said, I mean, David said he lifted me out of the horrible pit, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. It's Jesus. Amen? He is our rock. 
Choose a side, be counted for Christ, resolve to live for Christ, resolve to die for Christ. All of this world is going to perish. I know you know it, and I know I know it, but do I know it, know it? By faith do I know it, like Moses, who chose to suffer with affliction with the people of God and reproach with the people of God than to enjoy the treasures of Egypt for a season and the pleasures of sin for a season. Do I know it, know it, to where it's enough, I know it enough by faith to actually make that change in my life, to take that stand, to live for Christ and die for Christ, knowing that, that it's worth it, okay? God's not confused. He knows who loves Him. Who know, he knows who truly belongs to Him. And this is just a question. The question is not, do, does God know? It's, it's sometimes, do, do we even know where we stand? Take a stand for the Lord. Like this Bible says right here, the 66 books of the Bible, your Christian friends at school are not your standard. The Christian teachers at your school, some of them might be wonderful, but they're not your standard. This is the standard. Christ Himself is the standard. The life, the Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled, New Testament life in Christ has called us to live the crucified life. That's our standard. That doesn't change. A hundred years from now, if the Lord hadn't raptured us, okay, that still will be the standard. These are they that follow the Lamb wherever He goes. I want to be that. And I'm going to close with this Scripture. These altars are open even now. But John said, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. We need to get our eyes on Christ and on eternity. And I don't care if you just got saved yesterday, or you've been saved for 50 years, and you've heard this sermon a thousand times. This is for us today. There is compromise in the church world. God, don't let it be me. Start with me. Don't let my light diminish. Help me to burn out for you. I want to burn up and burn out and live up and live out for God and live for God and die for God and just go out like a flaming flame of candle. Just burn me up, Lord, till you call me home. I'm tired of living a life of compromise. I'm tired of being a coward when it comes to telling somebody else about Jesus. I want to tell them about the Lord. I want to live for God. You'll be Some are going to come to know Jesus. Some are going to ridicule you. In the days ahead, we might be persecuted more and more in this country. Probably so. But let's live for God. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Though I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age, to the end of the world. And so, Father, we just come before You in Jesus' name. And we give ourselves fully to You. Y'all, these altars are open. I know that there needs to be a, a, a commitment in our lives for this to, to call out to Jesus. Lord, to examine our own lives. And y'all, I'm not trying to bring condemnation. It, I'm simply saying you might be way ahead of where I am. This might be a commitment you made last year. But all of us can examine our hearts and lives and see the truth. Am I simply a little better than a lost world? Am I simply a little better than the average Christian of my day? Or am I fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ every day in every way? God, we want to be. You said apart from me, you can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So God, strengthen us. Help us. 
Help the high schoolers in here. Help the middle schoolers in here. Help the married couples in here, God. Help the single people in here. Help the older people. Help, help all of us, God. You are our standard. And You are our, our strength in order to do it, God. In Jesus' name, thank You, Lord.